there is power in God's word. Uh, because when we go to God's word, we don't just encounter a word, we encounter God. And uh, makes sense, actually, if you think where we have been and talked about philosophically um, in the last several weeks. Um, if, if there is a God, and we have reason to believe that there is, if we believe that God is a personal God who created not just the world, but he created a world with us in mind and wants to have a relationship with us, then it makes a lot of sense that if, if he engaged himself in history and that was written in a book that he breathed his life into, that when we come to this book, we don't just encounter words, we encounter God. Uh, this is true in the story of the men that I talked about in the first sermon, Augustine, C.S. Lewis, uh, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell. When those men, ultimately in their pursuit of truth, came to the scriptures, they encountered God there. Uh, there's power in the inspired word of God. And so the question for us today is in the culture in which we live, do we have reason to believe that the Bible is trustworthy? Is it reliable? Is it accurate? Now let me just paint just a, a little picture of what we encounter in our culture and really the gist of it is that I believe in a couple of ways our culture dismisses that this book is reliable it is accurate that it is trustworthy I think one of the ways for some and quite honestly I would say they are people that have not looked seriously into the Bible but I hear this I've seen them on YouTube videos <laughs> and, and what they will say and so I know this is this is current in our culture and this is thinking and people feed on this is that well you know religion was a way that man kind of created something in his mind so that he could explain some things that are unexplainable in the universe and then as a part of that religion that they developed these myths these stories that ultimately were even like the stories of Jesus and uh, but they're really just myths they're legends that we cannot take literally and quite honestly it's a book uh, that is filled with mistakes. <laughs> it's just man's book, so there's things that contradict itself in there, and, and really it, it hasn't been trans, uh, transmitted in an accurate way. Uh, in pop culture, the illustration I would use for that, would give for this, is years, a number of years ago, uh, I think it's Dan Brown that came out with the book The Da Vinci Code. And uh, it quite honestly makes me sick to think about it. It's a book that's based on ignorance that says, well, you know, really, uh, 
generations after, a number of centuries after Jesus had lived, and we don't even actually know what that looked like and who he was, but, you know, they started writing things down and just kind of created this story. And There were all these gospels that were written, but when it came down to the fourth century that Constantine decided he wanted to, to make Jesus to be uh, equal with God and so they they banished all these other gospels that didn't say that and they only clung to these four that that purported to say that but that's not really who Jesus was and um, uh, I'll answer that here in just a minute so I think for some they dismiss the Bible as simply an ancient myth are a legend that cannot be taken literally but also in the last hundred years or so there are those who have looked seriously into the Bible and and I think if I'm just I know this is a lot of details and this is some of this is very technical and it will be technical this morning here in just a minute uh, but there is a strain of theology that came a hundred years ago through liberal German scholars who were skeptics of the trustworthiness of God's Word and let me tell you where it hinged upon it's something we've already talked about they came at the Bible from a naturalistic atheistic perspective of life that was anti-supernatural in the age of science, these German theologians came to the place, we'll say, that said, well, in the age of science, we know that miracles can't happen. Therefore, what is this book talking about? Uh, oh, kind of the epitome of that is Albert Schweitzer's book, uh, The Quest of the Historical Jesus. I remember starting to read this and I gave up. Uh, you can have it if you want it. It's up here on the stage. This is a hundred year old book. Not this actual book, but he wrote it a hundred years ago. In that vein of liberal German theo uh, theologians. The quest for the historical Jesus. The premise is, we know the Jesus recorded here is not really the Jesus of history. Therefore, let's think about what the historical Jesus may have been. Hmm, that's why I couldn't quite stomach it. Whew, it's a lot of words. Uh, Shane, you can have this if you want it. Um, in that way, they dismissed the trustworthiness of the Bible because they came from that faith presupp presupposition of the naturalistic atheism that says nature is all there is, therefore the supernatural cannot occur, therefore the Bible cannot be true. The question is, if there is a God, and we have reason to believe there is, if that is the supreme being that created everything is it reasonable to think that that God who would have created life for human beings would have interjected himself into this world into human history 
And if he did, did he lead men to reliably and accurately record his interaction in the world in this book? Do we have reason to believe in the trustworthiness, the accuracy and the reliability of the Bible, or is it just a myth based on ancient legends? I want to I want to contend this morning that the objective evidence, the objective evidence for anyone who looks seriously into the Bible shows two things, the reliability and the accuracy of the Bible. And this morning, I want to narrow down to the New Testament. Let me say this today. This section of the road that we are traveling is very wide. There is a lot of thought and material that we could talk about. And there are a lot of side roads. Do you know what my job is? My job is to, to study that, to know that, condense it down to what I would call bite-size chunks. This is why I get paid to get it down to its essence to stay right in the middle of the road and make an appointment with charity. You can sit and we can talk for hours. I can show you all my books. I can trace all the documents. I can, I can, oh, I have so much more to share, but I have 22 minutes left. It is my job to condense it down to sermon size material. Yes. I want to talk about two things, two words, and the first one is reliability. Uh, the one thing that comes from the opposing worldview says it's only a myth based on legend. I want to say this. This is my first point, that the short time span between the actual events and the written record points to the reliability of the Bible and specifically what we'll talk about today, the New Testament. Okay. They say it was a myth that developed over hundreds of years. But actually what we see in the evidence is that there is a short time span between when the events occurred and when it was written down which is evidence to say it could not have developed in a myth there's actually more to this that I'll have to talk about later when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus there is not enough time for myths to develop when you look at the objective evidence of how we got the Bible and specifically the New Testament because it was written during the lifetime of the witnesses. It was not something generations after that, hundreds of years after that. Let me say this. This is what I would say about the Da Vinci Code. The reason those Gospels, and there were other Gospels, 
were denied to be a part of the Bible is because they were written much later and they were not based upon eyewitnesses. They are. They're 100, 200 years later. And when the church saw those, it's like, no, you can't be telling your story 100 years later, particularly when it contradicts what the eyewitnesses, specifically in the four Gospels, records. I want you to get this train of thought um, in the scriptures, and I want to read these scriptures. Listen to what Luke says. So I'm going to go through my scriptures here. Uh, Luke 1. Get this, this witness aspect. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. John says much the same thing in, um, in John 19, 35. This is what he says towards the end of his gospel. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Uh, when Luke is writing the history of the early church, he records the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. These are words that Peter spoke 50 days after Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem, the very same town. He says at the start of his sermon, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. He said, all of you have seen this. All of you know this. Paul says later to Festus, in Acts 26, 26, he says, he says to, to Festus in his testimony, For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done. Everybody's battery dies at some point in life. Be prepared. Um, since this thing was not done in a corner. One other scripture, and, and this is Peter's testimony. And there's verses like this throughout the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The New Testament is written by the eyewitnesses, and it was written in their lifetime. Um, it is not only that the Bible attests to its reliability. You say, oh, well, that doesn't, you know, whatever. Sure, it's going to say that. The secular historical sources give us uh, a, a secular perspective on the life of Jesus that it really was as the Bible related to. Now, they don't believe this. Let me say this. There are, and I have the documents, there are 11 secular historians of the first century that spoke about the life of Jesus. Eleven of them from the first century that verify this is not a myth that developed centuries later. No, this is what happened in that time. It, it verifies the New Testament events. In, um, in 64 A.D., uh, the Roman historian Tacitus writes about uh, Nero setting Rome on fire. And uh, Nero, to deflect guilt from himself, accuses the Christians of setting the fire in Rome. This is 64 A.D. Paul and Peter are still alive and probably in Rome. And this is what Tacitus says. This, this is historical. These are people that are not sympathetic to Christianity. It's, but gives, it gives a sense of the historicity of the New Testament. He says, and so to get rid of this rumor, Nero set up as the culprits and punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty a class hated for their abominations who are commonly called Christians. Christus, from whom their name is derived, was executed at the hands of of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius checked for the moment this pernicious superstition again broke out not only in Judea the source of the evil but even in Rome secular historian 64 AD uh, you can go to the 11 secular sources uh, and maybe most prominently you would think of you might know Josephus and his history uh, this is what they when you put their record together they speak of Jesus being a man who taught purportedly did miracles was crucified his whom his followers believed he was raised from the dead and was worshiped as a god that's what the secular historians there's also a group of people that give uh, credence to the historicity of the New Testament, the early church fathers. There's also, I counted about 11 of these. These are the second and third generation leaders in the first and second century. So these are the, the disciples of John and Peter and such who passed on what they were taught. Um, one of the disciples of, of John was a man by the name of Polycarp, and I've told his story before. But his testimony about the four Gospels was related to Irenaeus. And I know this is very technical, but th th these are ancient documents that give credence to this. Irenaeus writes in the 2nd century what Polycarp, who sat at the feet 
of the Apostle John in the first century said to him, this is what he said about the four Gospels. This is first century. Matthew published his Gospel among the Hebrews in their own tongue. When Peter and Paul were preaching in the Gospel in Rome and founding the church there, after their departure, Mark, the disciple interpreter of Peter, himself handed down to us in writing the substance of Peter's teaching. Luke, the follower of Paul, sat down in a book, the gospel preached by his teacher. Then John, the disciple of the Lord, who also leaned on his breast, himself produced his gospel while he was living at Ephesus in Asia. First century, the records record the eyewitnesses said that no, there were four Gospels that accurately, uh, just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same order, related the life of Jesus and the historicity to it. In fact, there are enough quotes in the 11 early church fathers to reconstruct all the words of the 27 books of the New Testament and to verify its historicity. When literary scholars look at the New Testament, what you denote is, and C.S. Lewis was one of these, it is not written as a myth. It is a realistic narrative, in fact, that includes negative details that would not have been included if it was written as a myth. It is not written as fiction, but as nonfiction, as history. Um, one other point I would make it on this point, the reliability, is that Many of the liberal scholars of the last century uh, would uh, dismiss Luke's gospel and the book of Acts because it included things that they said were not verified by history. But the problem is now archaeology has discovered and verified the details that they tried to dismiss and use as, as a weapon against Luke really being written by the eyewitnesses. And so ac actually archaeology... Uh, has verified the details of the New Testament, especially Luke and Acts. And so when you understand this, uh, the reliability of Scripture is based on partly on the short time span between the actual events and the written record. There was not time for a myth to develop. We're going to talk about this later when we talk about the resurrection. The other thing is the eyewitnesses who purported this story, I'll say this closer to Easter, were willing to give their lives for what these scholars would say. Ah, oh, they knew that wasn't true. And let me just say at this point, people don't die for lies, not for what they know to be lies. They believed it was true and it was reliably recorded in the Bible. The second thing is that, uh, and th I know these are things we don't ever talk about in church. We have to understand there is evidence. It is not naive of us to go, well, I just, I just believe it. I, I, just, I, just, I just always believed it to be true. No, there's a reason we believe that it's true. And I want to talk about its accuracy. The accuracy of the Scripture, and particularly, specifically this morning, the New Testament, is based upon the abundance of manuscripts. And I know this is very technical, and I, but I knew, I knew Shane would be starting to fade about this point in the sermon, so I brought a little prop. 
Shane, I don't know if the balcony people, can y'all see? No, it, well, I, actually, I understand. Well, yes, this was brought to me from Egypt, uh, but this is papyrus, and I didn't really want you to see the picture of the Egyptian god of Isis or whoever that is. I, something, I don't know. I don't even, I'm, I'm talking about stuff I don't even know. This is papyrus. Uh, this is made from material that they harvest from uh, reeds and they are in strips and you can come up and look at this there's actually it's kind of crisscross and it created the paper of the first century is what I'm saying what I'm telling you today brother Shane is the originals were written on papyrus uh, and Actually, I've had this for over 20 years, and it's starting to deteriorate. Well, the question is, what happened to those manuscripts of the, the original writers of the New Testament? Uh, we don't have any of those. We don't have the original manuscripts. Um, here's what you need to understand. The New Testament has over 5,600 ancient manuscripts at least of portions of the New Testament uh, and I'm gonna put that in perspective here in just a minute now I know, I know this is technical but many of them deteriorated in fact the only place you really find these are in extremely dry areas like Egypt or along the Dead Sea which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls come into the reason they were still preserved even though they're 2,000 years old. Now, get this, over 5,600 manuscripts of the New Testament. Now, I know that means nothing to you. It means nothing. You go, okay, whatever, 5,600 that have survived from antiquity until today. Um, there, is a, there is a classical discipline uh, it related to my being a Greek major in college, but I took a class in seminary on textual criticism. Uh, and um, I don't know, this, is, this was my little textbook, but this is actually a commentary on the textual variants of the New Testament. And there's hundreds of them. And partly there's so many is because there are so many manuscripts. What, here's the bite size. <laughs> I know. You make an appointment with Charity. You can come and talk to me about all these details this week. I'd love to. been thinking a lot about it. Uh, I need to get information out, and I don't have time this morning to get it out. Um, the manuscripts of the New Testament range from the 2nd century to the 15th century. I'm just helping you here. In the 15th century, actually the 16th century, Gutenberg invents the printing press. Before that time, when you had Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, a scribe took more parchment and he made a copy of that. And through the years then, they went from scribe to scribe to copy to copy to copy to copy. And uh, we have 5,600 of those. The earliest of those is from the year 130 A.D., it's very significant. It is within 50 years of the writing of John's gospel. It disputes the fact that John's gospel was written somewhere late in the second century. In fact, it's in a Byron. It's in Manchester, England, in John Ryland Library. Maybe someday I'll go. Uh, it, it blew the liberal theologians out of the water because all of a sudden here you have 
a manuscript that dates from 130 A.D., within 50 years of John writing, and it's like, hmm, I don't know, maybe our theory is not correct. Um, here's, here's, here's what you need to understand. The second, well, I'm sorry, the New Testament has far more manuscripts than any other ancient piece of literature by far. I, I can't overstate this. The one that's second on the list is Homer's Iliad. It has 643 manuscripts. Do you remember? New Testament has 5,600. Actually, it's 5,660, I think is the current number. Homer's Iliad, second on the list at 643. Um. The one that's closest to Homer's writing to that is 400 years from the time of writing. Hmm. Here's, here's, it gets a little deeper. Because even once you get to Homer's Iliad, it begins to drop. Demosthenes' speeches, there's 200 manuscripts. Tacitus, that I read earlier, he, he's pretty high on the list. He's, he's like number four. There's 20. Josephus, history of the Jewish people, there are nine manuscripts. Caesar's Gallic Wars, there's ten. Thucydides has eight. I don't know. There's, so there's all these lists of under ten. There's only a handful that have more than ten manuscripts. But the New Testament has 5,660 manuscripts that they draw from and using textual criticism to come uh, to understand the accuracy of God's Word. How do we know it was ac accurately transmitted? Uh, actually, there's a whole, uh, the whole study of textual criticism. Uh, helps us look at the variant readings because the scribes made mistakes. I'll be real honest with you. Some people will tell you that. It's true. Sometimes they spelled John's name with two N's, and sometimes they spelled it with one. Sometimes instead of saying Jesus Christ, they said Christ Jesus. I mean, they were dyslexic scribes. Daryl Smith can appreciate that. But 97% of the New Testament in the 5,660 manuscripts is identical. And all the other variant readings this is all I can really say to you at this point. Have no theological issues. There is no, the, there is no great doctrine of the Christian faith that hinges on a variant reading where a, a scribe added a word. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. It was not corrupted through the years as many people would propose. The abundance of manuscripts points to the accuracy of God's Word, specifically in this case, the New Testament. In conclusion, the Bible 
is the best attested and preserved piece of ancient literature. When you look at the objective evidence. So the evidence points to the trustworthiness of the Bible. And those that try to dismiss it either do it out of ignorance by saying, ah, they haven't really looked at it. It's like, ah, that's just a myth. No, no, look at the facts. Look at the evidence. Or they dismiss it because they come with a faith presupposition that says miracles cannot occur, therefore the Bible cannot be true. We have reason to believe from the objective evidence that the Bible is reliable and accurate. Which brings us to today, if that is true, and we have reason to believe that it is, then today, each one of us and every person that walks planet Earth is confronted with this book because we have reason to believe that it is true. Therefore, we must deal what is related in this book of what it teaches us about God. Yes, what it teaches us. We're going to come to it teaches us about morality and what it teaches us about eternal life. If it is true, then the wiggle room has become less and less. If there is a God and He created us to have a relationship with Him and if He had reliably and accurately recorded his works and his words in a book then we have to deal with it as truth and the whole truth and nothing but truth amen oh wow thank you for your patience today would you stand with me uh, I encourage you to listen to my live stream devotionals Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. I, I try to give some supplemental uh, material about this. Uh, there's so much more. Uh, but hopefully I've given you kind of some bite size to deal with the other side that says it's only a myth. It's only based upon legend. No, we have reason to believe that it is accurate and is reliable. Uh, today I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm at the front after the service. Brother Arthur, would you go on to the back while I'm praying? And, uh, man, I encourage you just to be generous and to uh, uh, give. And Brother Arthur will be at the back, and he can receive your money. And uh, just encourage you to be generous in that. I want you to also, I want us to especially this morning just pray for Don Wonkin that had surgery Friday and um, he's still in ICU and hasn't come out, really come out yet. And so it, it's pretty serious. And um, so just pray for Wanda and the family and for Don in this time. And uh, I'm at the front.
you want to visit with me, I'll be here to visit with you. Father, today we thank you for loving us. We thank you for communicating with us, not just being a creator that created us and left us to ourself. But, Father, you came and you engaged ourself. Ultimately, you came in person in Jesus. You died on a cross to make it possible for us to have everlasting life. And the apostles stood on that testimony that not only you died, but you rose again and that you're the only way to heaven. And so, Father, we pray that we would look to you in the truth of your word, Father, to live our life. Uh, so, Father, we trust that to you. We thank you for this time, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.